You're listening to a sermon from Garden City Church in Beaumont, California. For more information, visit GardenCityChurch.co. Hey, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there with us this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can turn your attention to the screens. What we like to do when we read Scripture together, as many of you know, we like to stand for the reading of God's Word. So we're going to do that together when you're open to 1 Corinthians 10. We will uh, stand and read together verses uh, 23 to 33. And as you're turning your Bible there, I'm going to pray. Lord, as we open your word, as we allow your truth to come alive before us, we're asking that you would speak to us in a way that allows us to reflect on all that you have done for us and what we can look forward to as, as Ben just prayed, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that you're the same God in 23 and you'll be the same God in 24. And for beyond that, for many years and many centuries to come, we thank you for your faithfulness to us, to love us, to never leave us, to allow us to become a part of your family. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's read together verses 23 to 33. When I'm done reading, I'll say, this is the word of God, and then you can respond by saying, thanks be to God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're supposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of your conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why would my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. I titled my message, Stay the Course, because I think that there's uh, some great value there attached to knowing what your year was, what your year might look like coming up, and all those things. I remember as a teenager when I worked in retail, which seems to be every teenager's first job, retail or fast food or, or something like that. I worked all of those things. I hated all of them. They were all terrible, um, especially the whole restaurant gig. I was a busboy at a friend's restaurant, and it was not fun. I uh, thought I knew what I was doing, and most of the time I had no idea what I was doing. I thought it was as simple as taking plates off of tables and wiping them down for the next party to come in, but I apparently wasn't fast enough because I knowing that I've been to restaurants that did not clean themselves well enough that I needed to make sure that every single sticky substance was off of that table. And I made it a point to be the one who took the longest, and that's what I was known for. I was known as the inefficient busboy, and I was like, well, I don't need this, I'm out, I'm done, I don't care. 
I remember working retail and knowing that at the end of every calendar year comes this time to take inventory. You have to know what product you brought in, what resources went out, and what you have left over. And that's where the 60 to 70% off sections became popular, which if you know, is not because they're wanting to bless you for a Christmas, New Year, Labor Day, President's Day, Hanukkah, and whatever else holiday sale they're having. It's because they need to make up a lot of the loss and to bring in a little bit more profit and because they have too much of that one brand. You've been there before, Nordstrom Rack, Ross, wherever else you might shop and you see that there are a thousand of the same brand, of the same design and you're like, oh, well, they clearly uh, didn't sell that well. And so there's no real way to recover what you thought you had in good product. But there is the necessity of having to take inventory of those things so that you can prepare for the next quarter. You count your losses, you move on, it is what it is. And I think it would be helpful and healthy of us to take an inventory of our lives from this past year. Consider what you experienced in 23. And maybe for some of you, you're like, I am trying to forget every single thing that took place. It's a very dark place. I don't want to remember those things. I've taken all year to forget 2023, and I am hoping that 24 becomes something different. And so it's, it's going to take work retracing your steps and going back on uh, other events that might be painful to revisit, but necessary to create in you a formation of what 2024 can become when you choose to honor God with your life. And so I want to lay a groundwork that's going to take us through the next year that I pray and believe that God will show up in ways that we have not seen yet. Not just as a church, coming up on three years of being a church here, we're thankful for God's grace every single time that we gather together, but particularly in your own life as well. That 24 would be a year of formation for you. I was reminded by someone in the church a few weeks ago uh, when she told me that we started out 2023 with this idea, maybe you remember, that the Lord had put it on our heart as a leadership to talk about this idea of God make us humble and keep, or keep us humble and make us holy. That was our mantra for 23, and without knowing it, we bookended our Christmas season with that same sort of conversation. And so she was amazed at God's faithfulness and I didn't even recognize it, but she did. And she said, I remember how you started 23 and how we're ending 23. And 24, I think is going to be that thing for us to recognize that there are areas in our life that need God's attention, that they need to be our focus for this year. And so the focus for this next year is on your spiritual journey. We're all on, after all, a spiritual journey. Whether you are just now starting to follow Jesus or you've been following Jesus for 40 years, spiritual formation is crucial to keeping you from going stagnant in your relationship to God. Revelation 3 puts it this way, that God knows your works, that you're neither cold nor hot but that you hopefully would be either cold or hot, but because you're not either of those, God says you're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, I have to spit you out of my mouth. Now, I don't know if you're a visual learner like I am, but when you think about God spitting you out of your mouth, it's not literal that God would do that, but that there is a lukewarmness to you. If you've ever had something that was lukewarm, whether it was a cold drink expected to be lukewarm, 
or a hot drink that turned lukewarm, you know how disgusting lukewarm can be. I already, I don't know if you know this, some people do, I hate leftovers. Can I just be honest with you for a moment? I'm not a leftovers kind of guy. I'm sorry. If you bring left, like I'm, I'm just not going to eat it. I'm just not going to take food home with me. It's just not how I do things, okay? Just wanting to let you know that. And you're like, well, you are weird. And I get that. I understand. The only leftovers I, I really consider that are okay are pizza. That's just, I mean, it is what it is. Like pizza can be lukewarm and still be holy in a way. Like it's just what it is. Um, but anything else, like, forget it. I'm not going to touch it. It's weird. I know I've had conversations uh, with Victor about this. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't get it. We'll talk later. It's okay. It's fine. Um, but there is one thing, in fact, yesterday that Lindsay made. She made this new dish, and I am infatuated with it, and I want it every day now. I'm not going to tell you what it is because I want it all for myself. So what I believe can so often become what we think is a good version of our Christianity to God is in fact lukewarm. Now, we've heard some discussion about this, well, cold is okay and hot is okay, but lukewarm is not. Some people take that and refer to it as both good things. Cold is good because iced tea is great and hot is good because hot coffee is good. But that's not what the verses are getting at. So I would say that it means that whether or not you are cold or hot, that's not the point. The point is that I think it says that cold doesn't mean something positive, but rather he means an indifference to the gospel and to Christ outside the church, a person who would blatantly reject Christ and who is an unbeliever. And then hot refers to someone who uh, Romans 12 says, like Paul said, that he would be fervent in spirit, that he would be boiling, that his temperature would be hot, so to speak, that Paul and Jesus are essentially calling our relationship to be red hot, to be inextinguishable. And so then why would Jesus then say, I wish that you were cold or hot? Why would he say that if you think cold is unbelieving? And my answer is, it's Jesus' way of saying that it is better to be totally outside the church and clearly, blatantly unbelieving than to be a compromised believer who puts on all the pretenses of church and religiosity, but inside there is no true commitment to Christ and no sense of need for Jesus at all. In fact, Second Peter 2 says that there are people who have escaped the defilement of the world through the knowledge of the Lord. And then they become entangled in them again, and their last state is worse for them than the first. So that is what I think Jesus has in mind. Better to be a person who has never tasted the powers of the kingdom of God than taste them and play the church game and have no true zeal for Jesus. Because the last state of that person is going to be worse than the first, better not to have known him at all. So then what is lukewarm? Well, I think Jesus points to that in the next verse. In verse 17, he says, you lukewarm people, you say that you're rich, you say that you've prospered, that you're in need of nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And so the picture of, Luke, of a lukewarm person is a person in church who is self-satisfied. I'm rich, I've prospered, I don't need anything, I have arrived, and they are not desperate. They are not desperate. They don't have a true view of themselves. 
What are they missing? Well, they're missing the last part of that verse, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And that's not a message that a lot of people want to hear today, especially inside the church. I don't want to hear the pastor tell me that I'm a wretched person. One, because we already know how wretched of a person we are and can be. But also, I don't want to be reminded that that's something that I used to live in. But I think what it helps us remind us of is our desperation for God. And so the question is, have you lost that desperate need for Jesus? Have you become uh, conflicted between wanting God and being content with where you are in God? Or are you desiring more of him each and every day? And yet it seems the answer, as he says, is to buy gold. He says in Revelation 3, well, the way to actually prosper, to get out of your lukewarmness, is to buy gold. And that's not, a, that's not a literal translation. You're not to actually buy gold. But what he is saying is you need to buy gold in a sense that is refined by fire. This is a gold that Job referred to in Job 23.10. When Job had gone through all his trials, when all of the things that had happened to him, he said, but he knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. It is a gold that is purified and refined in the fire of trials. And the way to know, if you want to know if you're growing in your relationship to the Lord, is if you are going through a trial if you've gone through one before, if you're about to go through one. You see, true human flourishing is not when we avoid trials and look to make our life as comfortable as we can. True human flourishing comes from learning to trust God in the midst of it. I know it sounds cliche and maybe it is, but it's also the truth. Now think about your own life. Think about human flourishing and the difference between who you are and any other animal or any other sort of creature that exists in the world. Apart from humans, all other animals live instinctively to their surroundings. Terms like survival of the fittest and how we live in a dog-eat-dog world. These phrases are used to describe a situation in which people will do anything to be successful even if what they do harms other people. Become successful by looking out for number one. You see, this is the lifestyle that is looking for instant success and gratification. And as long as I experience joy now, in the moment, I don't really care about what else happens. Is that a healthy way to live? It's the thrill of the catch, but what happens when the catch is finally caught? You look for another thrill of a catch. You see, humans are the only creatures who consider the long game. You think a lion wakes up thinking about what their 10-year plan is going to be? No, he's just concerned with like, I'm, I'm hungry. I need to eat something. Where's the closest animal that I can devour? A dog doesn't wake up, although you think it might, considering its existence in this vast universe. Dogs just have that, like, that human ability, it seems like, when they look into your eyes and you look back into their eyes and you're just like, what are you thinking, Fido? What is happening in your life? And he's probably thinking, why do I exist in this world? What is the meaning of life? Dogs don't do that. As cute as some of these commercials may make it seem like to go get a dog from the pound and all those things, like dogs are not contemplating their existence in this world. But humans are. And every single morning, 
And every single day, we're always wondering, what is my reason for being here? And what culture and entertainment and other things have created in us to believe is that we have to make our mark on this world. We have to leave an imprint. We have to leave a legacy. All this talk about having to be impactful people, and yet at the same time, the Proverbs tell us that it is the quiet person who actually succeeds in life. And so we need wisdom to understand the universal problem because it is constantly seeking to present itself in our world. But that also begs the question, what is the universal problem in our world? Some would say it's a political problem. Welcome to 24, the, the year of the election. That's going to be a good one. Others may say that it's an economic problem. Many say it's a problem with our education system. Yet none of these things can ever find solutions apart from Jesus. And I know that's the Christian way of trying to make a statement about God being the answer to all your life's troubles, which it is, but sometimes that doesn't always translate well into the life of an unbeliever. And I know that's a radical statement to make, but I think it's an accurate one. And what's the thing that only God can do? Break the powers of sin and death. And so before anything from the outside can be solved, we have to first confront the problem coming from within. And all human creatures are trying to discern how to form the person we are becoming. And yet, at the same time, what we're hearing from the outside is that it's the outside problem and there's nothing wrong with what's happening in here. Follow your heart. How do you feel? What gender do you want to identify with? However you're feeling that in here, you can go and live that out however you want. And yet, there's still a systemic issue happening in our world we see that education is a form of trying to create a particular sort of people. Entertainment is trying to form the minds of people. Big tech is doing the same thing. So is religion. And there is this concerted effort from within the church to be invited into this conversation. And so often Christians are left out of the equation because they're just, they're they're crazy church people. They want to tell us about God who we don't even know if he actually exists. And so rather than, I think, what we can talk about when we think about 2024 and our opportunities ahead of us is that what I think we should be talking about is not so much of what we have to say about the matter, but just having a seat at the table. And with so many voices trying to speak over one another, I think the rhythm of the church needs to change from speaking to listening, now, when you come to church, you're going you're, you're gonna to listen, right? I would hope. And I'm going to speak because that's what I do. Pastors are going to speak. Churchgoers are going to listen. That's just the rhythm of when you come to a Sunday morning service or whatever else that we would participate in. But when you go out into the world, and maybe you're like me, when someone starts talking to you about issues that they're facing, you're already thinking of the verses that you need to quote and the things that they need to listen to and the YouTube video link you're going to send them later on this pastor who said something really good about this particular thing. And you're, you're already going through the motions of like, I already know how to fix this person. And that's not necessarily a bad thing in wanting to share that information, but so often what we do in lieu of that is we don't listen to what's actually happening in their life. I think this is the year we take a moment to consider how we can listen better than we can speak. 
Now, I don't know about you. I, I can probably attest to this for you as well. And you can probably attest to this for me. We are good at speaking our mind with eloquence. Whether we do it on social media, whether it's by our posture or our body language, it can speak a lot more than even the words that come out of our mouths. We often talk about needing to make ourselves known, to make our presence known. Let me post this on Twitter, although, although it's now called X, which whatever. There's so many different platforms with so many different voices that it gets tiring sometimes to even want to say or to speak up about something. And I get that, I understand that, but what I think needs to happen is rather than wanting to send out a tweet or I don't even know, you can't see, we, we use tweet as a verb, but now I can't like, I'm gonna X, like that, that sounds weird, I'm not gonna do that. That's a whole side note. I think what we need to be better at is not using our screens to communicate with other people. I think we need to start inviting other people into our homes. And you're like, that's my sanctuary, brother. Like no one comes in my home. No one sits at my table. I barely sit at my table. Why would I let other people in? Because what we've talked about so often, if you've been here long enough, is that we need to be better at making our tables longer than our fences are higher. We want to protect so much of what we have. I get it. I'm that way. I've told you before. I'll admit it again. I'm going to be the old guy who tells the kids to get off my lawn because I'm already doing it. And that's the problem that I'm recognizing in my own life that 2024 has to become a place where we can say there's a seat at my table for you to have a meal with me. And so we're going to be taking more ground, like I said earlier, in our small groups with 2024. I think there needs to be more about us not collectively trying to gather on Sundays so much, although that's going to happen, that will never stop in-person services, but we need to make sure that we're also doing that throughout the week. It's not enough for you and I to feel like I am close enough to God by just simply listening to a sermon for about 35 minutes or so. I think that the women's and men's study served its purpose for a time, but I think the Lord is telling us that you can do ministry outside of a building context. It's about us as humans looking at the long game, as I mentioned earlier. And so we're going to make a more concerted effort to start praying about how we need to break down walls of hostility and nerves about welcoming people that we're not necessarily familiar with in our own neighborhoods, into our homes, and into these sacred spaces. But I recognize that that's a challenge for many of us, and it seems to be that that's a challenge for every believer. Well, let me just invite them to church on Sunday. Let them get saved, do the thing, God bless you, and then I'll work on the next person. I think if you could just slow down for a moment, and I think each and every one of us in this room this morning can identify at least one person, whether a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, that we could focus on for this one year. If you could focus on one person, just having meals with them, welcoming them into your home, having holidays with those people even, possibly. What could that one person sense from the impact that you're willing to make on their life? I think when we, when we think about church and success and all these other things, we think about, well, the more people we can reach, then the more impact and the more influence and the more that God's going to use us more. And that's just a false Western American lie that we don't have to have more numbers to be more successful, that if you, by your faithfulness to God, are welcoming people into his kingdom, he, he's not asking you to bring a particular number with you. 
He's saying, I want you to be faithful and I want you to call others to be faithful as well. And so what we have to learn, I think, is that the best version of understanding how we can do that best is to first recognize that one, we are sheep who have gone astray. We've all been in that place before. And we have prodigals who are also in that same place. Luke 15 is one of the most uh, one of the most preached on chapters in all of the Bible because it talks about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost um, the lost son, like all these things about lostness and and that that drives us emotionally with our hearts to want to reach out to more people and praise God for that, but we also have to remember that we, like sheep, have also gone astray. You see, for often, uh, the church has communicated that sheep, as animals, are stupid. But sheep are not stupid, in case you were wondering. Sheep are, rather, known to be destructive. Sheep are destructive creatures. One, they, they smell really bad. But two, they also are really destructive things. They are actually smart animals, with destructive tendencies. And so there's a reason that scripture is calling us sheep. And so when we recognize that God is calling us sheep, we are first recognizing that he called the Israelites sheep. When he brought them out of Egypt into what was going to be the promised land, they were like sheep. And anytime Moses left, what happened? They messed up. They did something stupid. They did something destructive. And when Moses came back, they all listened and they all partook together of good things. Sheep are helpless without a shepherd. And so we have to remember that with Jesus as our shepherd, with us as sheep who have gone astray before, that the power is in remaining in the sheep with the other sheep. The way that you become destructive is when you as a sheep are isolated from the rest of the herd. And why is it that Psalm 23 tells us that your rod and your staff, they comfort me? Because the shepherd would recognize at different times throughout the sheep's life that they were destructive. And what would he do with his rod? He would break their leg so that they couldn't walk. So when you see that picture of Jesus with the lamb over his over his shoulders, like, oh, that's such a cute picture. Like, what a religious thing. That's great. That's not what it's getting at. It's like Jesus had to break the leg and he had to carry it. And sometimes we need that reminder. And sometimes our legs need to be broken. And that is not fun, but it is necessary for us to keep ourselves from becoming destructive. And so with that sheep-like mentality, we have to remember that one, Jesus is our shepherd, And that too, we are all sheep together. And when we feel like we can do life with Jesus, isolated from other sheep, that's when we start to become destructive people. And so when we recognize those two things, we can find ourselves wanting to do more as a community with less destructive behavior. But that's the question we have to ask ourselves this morning as sheep. I bet you didn't think that coming into 23 or going into 24, you'd be talking about sheep on New Year's Eve. But the reality is that I think it helps lay this groundwork. And this is the question we have to ask ourselves. Do I have destructive behavior? Do I have destructive behavior tendencies? You see, no matter what culture you look to, there's an agenda to form that person that gives them a sense of belonging. 
So the next time you're on social media, don't say you're aimlessly scrolling or when you're consuming something else or when you're subscribing to every streaming outlet imaginable that you're saying there's nothing good to watch. You are forming yourself around the things that you are consuming. And there's a reason you're consuming it because you're looking for it to form you and shape you into something. And sometimes, most times, you may not even recognize that it's already doing that. And apart from God, we believe it is actually very difficult to find your purpose. Why? Because culture, politics, society, entertainment, whatever you want to call it, are always changing. You see, in a broken culture, you're going to find broken systems that create future brokenness. But in a redeemed culture, you will find redeemed systems that create future redemption. And these two cultures are evangelizing to bring more people into those types of cultures. And you have to know that this is not just a campaign for a seasonal vote. This is about creating in you who you become that will decide all future choices that you will default to. We believe that in following Jesus, we can experience a transformation that cannot be found anywhere else. It's what many have called spiritual disciplines or spiritual formation. And to begin the year in 24, next week, we're going to look at this idea of spiritual formation and creating healthy, godly habits in you, in me. Because how often do those things just kind of fade into the distance and we don't continue through different things? That's why resolutions are broken like the the next day. Gyms are going to be crowded next week, but I can guarantee you by the end of January, early February, you can start going again and you're not going to have that issue of it being crowded because so many people are recognizing some of the broken systems they've given themselves over to. And so this is a great way to restart. And I don't disagree with that necessarily, but the problem with most of those resolutions or whatever you want to call it is that we often keep them to ourselves out of embarrassment from letting others recognize that there are things we need to work on. But I think what can serve you best and long-term is to get together with someone else around you and to tell them, hey, this is what I'm focusing in on. This is what I want to do for 24. This is something that God has really placed on my heart to become this or to do better in this area. And I need your help to do it. That's That's a very hard thing to do. Hey, I recognize a weakness in me. I need to do better in this, and I need you to help me through that. But what you will find once you can get over the shame or embarrassment or whatever else it is, you will find that your success will actually go a longer way than by yourself. So this is not about doing things to be better connected to God. I want to be better connected to God in 24. No, this is about who you are becoming as you practice these things. So some of the formations we're going to talk about in the next probably two months are things like prayer. Why is prayer important? And not just how to pray better, but why should I even pray to begin with? The second one we're going to be talking about is how to read the Bible. Well, why should I read the Bible? Why should I do this? We're not going to talk so much about how to read it, but why you should read it. We're not going to do a lot of the how-tos. We'll have some practical applications here and there, but that's what the small groups are going to be for. The how is you being able to do that with other people around you in community who are doing it together, who are looking to follow Jesus in the same direction. And so maybe you've heard of spiritual disciplines before. 
It's a very crowded space right now. Everyone's all about formation and wanting to do these things that create healthy habits. But oftentimes, what those disciplines or formations can do is create legalism in us. And that's not what we want to get in when it comes to following Jesus. We don't want it to be about the thing that I'm doing that's making me a better person, but who it is that I'm choosing to reflect when I'm doing it. And so we remember that following Jesus is not just a flash in the pan. It requires, as Eugene Peterson puts it, a long obedience in the same direction. And so you will know if these formations are working in your life simply by the fruit that you produce. So that's what I want to wrap up with this morning. I want you to ask yourself this question. And you don't have to answer it now. Maybe you don't even know about it yet. You need to do some reflection. When you think back on 2023, you know, Jesus said that you'll know them by their fruit. The question I want you to ask yourself this morning to reflect on is what fruit have you noticed in your own life? And maybe you could take this even further, ask someone else, hey, what fruit have you noticed in my life? Because Jesus said that a good tree cannot produce bad fruit and that a bad fruit will never produce good fruit. So ask yourself and ask someone else to think on what fruits you have created with people who you've been through things this last year and ask them, what fruit have you seen in me? Maybe it's not going to be the conversation you want to have. And they're like, well, I don't really know what fruit I've actually seen in you, to be honest. But the reality is that you can start afresh all over again. You see, when you come to Garden City, you realize very quickly that our focus is Jesus. And I don't know if it really needs that disclaimer as this is a church, but we want to be so apologetically like Jesus that we believe his purposes for you are not rooted in what you can get out of this, but what you can give to this. There is wisdom in this room. Let me just tell you that right off the bat. If you are in need of wisdom, there is so much in this room. I have noticed very quickly that the longer I find myself asking people who are older than me, who are a lot wiser than me, that I make less bad choices when I ask them first. And I would suggest that you do the same, that you find someone that you consider wise, someone who has been around the block, if you want to call it that or whatever, and ask them different questions. Hey, am I making this right decision? Is this something that you think is good for my relationship to Jesus? Because see, when you read about the life of Jesus, you will see rather quickly just how much Jesus is more concerned with who you are rather than what you do. You see that in the Sermon on the Mount. He says often, you've heard it said before, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, if you've already lusted in your heart, you've already committed that. He's getting after what's inside of you because he knows that if he can get after what's inside, everything outside will follow. Dallas Willard says about spiritual formation, quote, the secret of transformation into Christ's likeness is to realize that if you change the inside, the outside will follow. Now, this isn't some revolutionary idea. We know that in order to get better from cold symptoms, you don't slap a Band-Aid on your arm and call it a day. If you have weeds in your yard, you can't just pull the leaves off. You have to get to the root. You see, you cannot risk only washing the outside of a cup, hoping the soap and water leak into the cup. You have to intentionally 
Wash the inside. And when you do that, the outside will follow. It has to be dealt with properly. And that is why Jesus said in Matthew 23 to the religious leaders, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. He says, you, you blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. So it's important to remember that whatever we do to the inside, the outside will follow. So think about the Great Commission as we wrap up. Jesus said in Matthew 28, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. This was after he rose again from the dead. And he says, therefore, because I have authority, I'm giving now you the authority to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you as you do it. I'm with you. I'm not just commanding you to go and do this and like report back to me and let me know how it goes. He says, I walk with you through that. I will be with you. My power will not leave you. You will continue to have the confidence to go and make disciples. Notice this is a call for people who are not yet disciples. Another word can be used as apprentice or student. And we have to look no further than Star Wars as a great example of what the power of an apprentice can do. If you're familiar with Star Wars and you're not, that's okay. You can talk to someone who's a Star Wars nerd later on. Any Star Wars nerds in the the room? Okay, we've got, okay, wow, the hands went up quick. Now you know. Um, If you are someone who is apprenticing or a student under the force or the dark side, you can see how influential each side can be. And so is the case with every person in this room that you are a student of someone. You're like, well, I, I, I want to be a student. No, no, no. You are a student of someone or something. You are sitting under a particular authority, whether it's on a screen or it's someone else or somewhere else. You are a student. You are an apprentice. And what you learn from them is ultimately reflected in how you live your life. That's why it's so important to start taking inventory now of what happened in 23 so that you don't have the same loss and profit margins that you had then. You have better, tighter budgeting ideas of how you're going to do better as a student this year. For us as believers, we look no further than Jesus to be our teacher and to show us a way that maybe you've never seen before. Maybe you've never studied under Jesus. Now is your chance. Growing up at Harvest uh, Christian Fellowship in Riverside, I, I had the opportunity to sit under Pastor Greg Laurie and, and to be a pastor at that church, but I also had the privilege of being able to sit under Pastor Chuck Smith, who was also uh, influential in Greg's life, the whole Jesus movement, that whole thing. And every time Chuck was there, I went to the Bible college for a little bit too, and every time Pastor Chuck showed up, he would always tell young students, stay the course. And I remember asking him one time, why do you say that to so many young people? It's like the one question I ever got to ask him. I don't remember fully, but I remember this. He said, because it's so easy to veer off. Because it's so easy to look another way. And something as simple as stay the course is something that can, I think, go a long way for a lot of us. Because 2023, let me be honest with you, it is something that I thought about 
getting off course. I wanted to hide in a hole. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I wanted to hibernate for the next five years and just like leave it all alone. But the moment I confronted the things that happened in 2023 is when God started to show up and to show his faithfulness in the midst of that. And yeah, praise God. And so when you can stay the course, you can know this morning that other people are trying to do the same exact thing. You're not alone in trying to stay the course. And so our prayer for you is that you can plan for 2024 in sitting under Jesus, in sitting under being a student of the teacher so that you can learn how you can not only grow in your own relationship to Christ, but how you can also call others to do the same.